the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this edition of The Bible Live. We are into the uh, book of Job, deep, deep into the book of Job. We'll finish it. Or any discussion about that great book from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay. We'll finish that up this evening. And then we'll move on into uh, a couple of books that really, I, I, I'm sure, at least in the Christian world, uh, Jacob, I don't believe these books get a lot of exposure. Maybe the books of Ecclesiastes. And then followed by the, uh, the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. What, what, I'm not sure why it has those different names, but there we have it. Uh, the Song of Songs. And then uh, we even read a little bit in our reading program, in our reading schedule, got back into the New Testament. We picked up there with the book of Galatians, this uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, not to uh, Galatia, of course, is not a city like Ephesus or like Thessalonica. Uh, Galatia is a region, um, you might, I guess, a state of uh, the Roman Empire, and there are a number of congregations in it. And so this letter was passed to the, from church to church uh, to the different churches in that particular region. Uh, Galatians has been called uh, the book of Romans light. <laughs> uh, it's 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 not as complete and thorough as the book of Romans is, which we uh, have already discussed just a few weeks ago. But 
it does have a lot of the the characteristics, the theological characteristics. Uh, Paul is is really good at, at explaining the it, essentially the Jewish revelation, uh, the Hebrew re- revelation that we have in light of the coming of Messiah. If he thoroughly and clearly believed that he came to believe, probably through a painful process, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that, how does that feel or what is that like uh, to come to, um, Jacob can shed some light on this maybe. Can you give us any insight as to what no. Paul might have felt? <laughs> I mean, here he is. Oh, I bumped my knee. <laughs> Ouch, that hurts. It makes yeah. me hurt. I, I hate to bump my knee or my toe or whatever. But here's this guy. He's a committed, fervent, uh, solid Jewish believer. Uh, everything, you know, everything Jewish. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees and so on. And the, and he's persecuting this group of uh, uh, of heretics, in his view, Jewish heretics that have come along, led by this uh, fellow named Jesus of Nazareth, and and so he he sees them as a threat to the truth, to Judaism, uh, the true and living God. And I, I have to agree, he is a he does. Paul does have the truth. I mean, uh, well, why would he? Why would he see them as a threat? Actually, this is fascinating because I had this conver- almost exact conversation with a uh, uh, man and woman, uh, knowledgeable mm-hmm. Bible readers mm-hmm. cri- from uh, historically a Christian world, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I had it this week, as a matter of fact, in well, almost the exact same conversation. Well, we need those insights because to try to get into the noggin and into the emotional life, the experience of of this fellow who was so fervently against, the, and, and then... Turned so thoroughly, so completely around to, uh, and, and then to see what happened to him right. because he gets ostracized. Sure. He gets uh, in some level, and that's a hundred percent true. I think I can offer an explanation. Well, that would be helpful. I think. But for all I'm wondering of us. why you said he would see it as a threat. Uh, I boy, I don't know. I well, you said it. <laughs> I I, th- I think he would see it a threat. Because he doesn't believe it, he doesn't believe. But it's not anti-Jewish. I'm sure there have all been, Jews have no, a no. concept of a Messiah. Oh, sure, exactly. And, and and Jesus of Nazareth was not the first person to come along and declare that he was the Messiah and right. try to take that role and that right. that uh, position. Right. Uh, and I'm sure that you know, or, or I should add people quickly. Did, the, at least the Messianic Age, yeah, the, or the Messiah. Yeah. yeah, the red flag went up. Oh, no, there's another false one. We can't have people confused and so on. So I suspect, that oh. we, we, I suspect <laughs> that he's concerned about about his fellow Jews. He's concerned about they're going to be this guy, Jesus. Boy, he's really got a, you know, he's got a great stick going. He's, he's, um, you know he's good. There's some people. There are too many people believing him. I love that. He's got a great stick going. Hey, I'm trying. You know. Hey, what's your stick? <laughs> oh, I'm making a buck. You know. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I, I'm thinking they they uh, they must. Uh, I'm trying to kind of get a sense of what they might have. What Paul might have felt. Uh, Paul is one thing, and then of course you got uh, uh, Cal, um, what's his name, the high priest. Um, Cal, uh, 
Caiaphas. Caiaphas. And uh, I keep trying to put an L in there, Caliphus or something. Caiaphas and the other members of the Sanhedrin and the, the political realities of the time and so on. So, yeah, the the it it is... It is a very pregnant moment in the Jewish nation and Jewish history because, you know, they're under Roman domination. They're trying to be good. They're trying to stay out of trouble, trying to keep their people alive. You're Uh, very, very close, I think, to answering why he would have thought it was a threat. They wanted to keep at peace. Sure. And what was Jesus perpetuating? Upheaval, chaos. Yeah, he's uh, saying, I'm the king. And the Romans only had Caesar as their god king. Uh-huh. So it's a confrontation. So uh, I will tell you an interesting now the, story. Now, the Jews didn't believe that he was the king. So the, who? Who? Uh, 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 Paul didn't believe no, I that. I mean, who, that, who was the king? Uh, they didn't Caesar, believe that Caesar, Caesar was or the Jesus. king. It's not like they believed that Caesar was the king. No. But, but if they kill your wife and kids, and maybe your next yeah, door neighbor, we want to hold them at bay. Yeah, let's keep them appeased, yeah. appeasement. And and here comes this guy with his particular claims, and and and, and that's going to. In other words, the Jews, the the Romans are not going to see this as a. Uh, well, here's this 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 rebel guy, Jesus, they're going to see the Jews as the... As a matter of fact... As many as as embrace him, of course. A point of actually secular Roman history. Okay. Uh, uh, What was his name? Uh, Pontius Pilate. Uh He had sent... In his writings, he refers to himself as having Spanish blood. He's he's, Spanish, right? That's why he's hot-tempered. I was in Spain many, many years of our early ministry, and they claim... As a matter of fact, in his writings, he refers him... He says to Caesar, you know, I've got Spanish blood, that's why I'm Uh hot-tempered. At any rate, he had sent for a Roman legion from Spain. Mm -hmm. And they were coming, and they were going to destroy Jerusalem and kill everybody. You know, they were coming to do that. Did they damage. eventually do that? No. No, well, they did, they did they, not. They turned that. around because the rebel leader, as the Romans viewed Jesus, as mm-hmm. the rebel leader, he was he was dead. So their king was dead. That's why they put the sign on the cross. Yeah. Uh, here's your king, Israel. King of the so Jews, that yeah. kind of took care of the rebellion, and it saved Jerusalem, at least at that time. And in fact, uh, you, you remember... Uh, well, that's what Caiaphas said, that one must die for the sake of the nation. He, that's, yeah. that's what I was going to quote. He said, hey, it's better that one guy die than the whole nation. And so you can see the practical thing, why maybe they viewed Jesus as a threat. Now, uh, however a person uh, wants to expound on that, they can. But I know for sure that the Roman that they had sent for a Roman legion. Mm-hmm. It went back. To Spain after the whole thing was quelled. Uh, interesting, after... The legion went back to Spain. The yeah. Spanish legion, mm-hmm. the Roman legion. They returned. Uh-huh. They returned to Spain. So they did not come and wipe out Jerusalem. Somebody and, else did. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. actually, uh, about 70 AD or mm-hmm. so, a Roman legion did come and wipe out Jerusalem and killed, not only destroyed the temple, but they killed roughly one and a half million Jews. And Caesar commanded that uh, the rest of the Jews that exist, they had to be scattered around the world. And he changed the name of Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina. 
and that, so it actually bared that name for a while, a Latin name, mm. Roman name. And uh, and the Roman legion that sacked Jerusalem. Actually, there's a letter that exists uh, still from Titus to Caesar, and it says, uh, can we stop killing all these Jews? Not out of sympathy. It was yeah, because his men were too tired, right? His men were too tired to raise their sword. So Caesar said, okay, but they got to be scattered around the world. They can never have Jerusalem again. So that was the deal. Now, here's the interesting thing. I forgot how many months it was, but after the sacking of Jerusalem, that Roman legion <coughs> took its R&R in Pompeii, Italy. I've been to Pompeii. Mm-hmm. And it basically, have you been to Pompeii? I recognize Pompeii as the place that was destroyed by a volcano, right? Yes. And and who was destroyed there by Mount Vesuvius was the Roman legion, the troop that sacked Jerusalem. Does that give you goose pimples? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a pretty... That's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, it does. It doesn't surprise me, though. I've kind of grown used to... Uh, to me, it's, it seems kind of obvious that that God is behind every one of these events. There were, and, and Galatians, interestingly enough, chapter 4, Paul actually lays it out in, 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 um, in just the right time, he says, and he's talking about the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, uh-huh. and he makes, he makes it clear that this was not just willy-nilly stroke of luck or just happenstance that Jesus came at this point in time in history that he came. Uh, what, what does it say? Uh, the verse is really actually quite interesting. The, it's Galatians chapter 4. the Bible has an interesting verse? Oh, it does. There's one there. 4-4. Um, four, four. But when the right time came, uh-huh. in just the right moment, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. In other words, a Jewish, mm-hmm. a Jewish man. So, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And, and so on. he goes on talking about you know, the role of Messiah and what Jesus did. But the, the, the point I want to make is when the right time, just the right moment. Uh, there was, so it was very intentional that Jesus came at the time he came. Mm-hmm. And I and I've heard really good studies about it from the historical perspective why what was it about that time that first century that w- that was so interesting that made it such a such a, a special moment for uh, assuming for the moment that Jesus of Nazareth was who he claimed to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, was that that Messiah it. You can see why that moment was so important. Why it wasn't just simply for for the Jewish nation's sake, but for the expansion, as we see all through the Tanakh, all through the Hebrew Scriptures, it was never about just one little select no, little group. Absolutely, it was not. always about, about the, the world. The about world, absolutely, the God. whole world. Yeah, and uh, and so this was a moment clearly that all of a sudden it. It exploded out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and because of this persecution and all. It it spread like wildfire across mm-hmm. the Roman Empire, and of course, ultimately around the world. So, uh, I, I don't I don't think there are even many Jewish scholars or believers that wouldn't admit that. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth has probably done more to expand. 
That well, version, I, I think any, Judaism. <laughs> any fair-minded person will have to agree that probably the two most, well, the two most famous Jews are Jesus and Moses. And Moses, yeah, yeah no doubt about it. But uh, in terms of exploding and expanding the right. the. Uh, what would you call it? The base? We're in the political. <laughs> Remember, we always talk about Trump's base and the Republican base and all. Uh, expanding the Jewish, out, out of just Jewish nation, Jewish people, Jewish culture, and taking it mainstream mm-hmm. or going viral, as, as they say nowadays as well. Uh, probably Jesus. I mean, that. In other words, if you did choose a moment, it looked like the moment was just ripe for this message of hope, this message of truth about the the true living, true and living God. And so if that message could be taken international and taken viral around the world, that was a very special mm-hmm. moment for it to happen. Uh, and that, I, I think it was what Paul is saying there in, the, in that letter to the Galatians. And there were just the right moment when things were... At a maximum, uh, uh, he came and he carried out his work. And, of course, Paul is a part of that, a very important part of that explosion. So it's, uh, it, it's um, boy, we're still dealing with the confusion, but the, the facts of what happened are, are pretty clear. Uh, I, I'm saying we're still dealing with the confusion in terms of uh, here are two groups of people that really belong together, uh, uh, this whole idea uh, Jews and Christians. I mean, we, we really, we really belong together. There, there's uh, no doubt. Of, in fact, is Paul makes it clear we, Christians, believers, even mm-hmm. even now, two thousand years later, mm-hmm. we really have. If we would really be honest and clear about what we've opted into, if you know the back, we've opted into Judaism. We've, we've. We worship Jehovah, the true, the true living God, the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We worship. Uh, we use the same book and the same history and the same message. We recognize its authority and its its uh, uh, theistic sourcing and God God's word. Same scriptures, same history. Um, there's just so much about it. We, we really, we really have have bought into Judaism. That's what we have. Essentially, uh, uh, the funny thing and the odd thing is that so many uh, Jews have not. Now, thousands and millions of Jewish men and women have. They they do say, like Paul, they go, wow, they come to see that Jesus was who he, who he said he was. But, uh, but the thing about it is, hmm, there's that word threat again. That there's there's a certain threat. Why do you think? Well, uh, this is a hard question to ask somebody. Are you up for a hard question? Why do you think there among not not all Jewish individuals? We're certainly not talking like that, but like because like I said, there are millions of Jews who view Jesus of Nazareth as a positive thing uh, for the world and for expansion of Judaism and so on. But it's still, at some formal official level, there's a resistance to embracing uh, Yeshua. Is it just pure intellectual honesty in some cases? They just still don't believe he was. They're looking for something different. They don't, they don't believe that he, he was not. See, for, for me, for example, just a simple Gentile believer who just came into this thing kind of sideways, Native American, have, you know, don't have any 
I don't really have a dog in the fight in terms of the religious thing, but I just looked when I was a young man, I looked at this person, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and I, I looked at the history. I, I looked at the things he said and claimed in his life, and it, be, it became fairly obvious to me, at least, that, wow, he 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 was. This is so weird. weird. He did fulfill those prophecies. He did. You know, it fairly clear to me un, that, he, that he really does have a very strong case. Uh, the, the resistance, any resistance that might still exist among uh, Jewish folk about acknowledging, yeah, Jesus was, yeah, Yeshua, he was. He, it really is a fulfillment of, of your prophecies. I mean, you're, you're, you, we've really just looked at them and blah, 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 looked at them and thought, wow, that, that's well, true. Are, are the prophecies, why is the resistance are the prophecies still there? fulfilled? Well, Enough of them are fulfilled to recognize who he was, right? Uh, I'm getting the idea when you say enough means no. Oh, there are still those that need that are to be fulfilled, well, right? Let me first say what the premise is, is that actually what you read in the book of Revelation mm-hmm. in the Christian scriptures uh, is actually very close to what, um, what the Jews view is going to be at the end. Uh-huh. So, and the Christians expect a second. When the game is over. <laughs> when the game is over. But the Christians expect Jesus to come back a second coming, uh-huh. right? So, when he comes back a second coming, he's actually, if that's all true, he's going to do exactly what the Jews have always originally expected. Now, if he does that, then I think Jews will say, well, my gosh, he is, he is the Messiah. But, you see, he hasn't established his kingdom. And you always hear Christian preachers say, oh, well, the Jews thought he's going to establish a kingdom. Well, that's exactly what Christians think on the second oh, coming. Yeah. So if, uh, now for me. You're talking about a uh, physical, earthly kingdom. I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah uh, it, it, but. I get it, and I know you're, you're right. We we do think that's yeah, yeah. He's going and to I, I hear Jews many times criticized. You know, sort of tongue in cheek. Oh, the Jews they expected a guy to establish a kingdom, but hadn't he already and, established and his I kingdom? And I always find way? it fascinating that in the same breath they'll say, "And when he returns, he'll establish his kingdom." Yeah, so I, I, I get say, it. I can see that. That so when he comes back, if he comes back, and he establishes kingdom, I, I think I'll just say, "Yeah, hey, what do you know? It was the guy." Do you think he? Is there anything at all to be said for a spiritual kingdom? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, As in that sense, fact, he has established his kingdom. In the book of Revelation, it talks about a new Jerusalem descending and all that. Yeah. You are not going to believe this. But actually, in ancient Jewish literature, it actually refers to a new Jerusalem appearing. Ah. Okay. So. I'm not surprised because okay. most things they so wrote actually, in the New Testament, so somebody would just read their is, Old Testament. <laughs> if I could ever say to... Uh, a, a Christian, I'd okay. say, listen, you believe he's coming back. That's your book of Revelation, second mm-hmm, coming. Mm-hmm. And what you believe he does is comes back riding a horse, and he establishes his kingdom. That's what the Jews have said is going to happen at the end of days, since the beginning of days. So if he does that, then I think they'll agree, oh, yeah, that's the guy. But... In so you meantime, guys are going to join. You guys are going to become fans uh, only after the final whistle has blown. No, no. If he comes back and, and he does establish a kingdom, then I think at that time Jews will say, "Well, he is now doing what we said the Messiah will do when he comes." 
And the Christians say, well, we told you. Yeah, I guess we will. <laughs> I, I, uh, unless, and then the we have enough, look, unless we have enough civility not to say uh, we told you so. Well, and then the Jews look back and say, no, we told you. <laughs> <laughs> who told who when? But, but the <laughs> who point knew is, what when yeah. they knew it? Yeah. yeah. Well, but, anyway, that's where we are. We're going to get into the Galatians. <laughs> we haven't really gotten into Galatians right now. This is just kind of behind the scenes things. But we're going to look at first at uh, the book of Job. Any final thoughts about that, about this amazing book, about this individual from the oldest what is thought to be the oldest book of the Bible. I do want you to, when we get back, I want you to tell us once more when the book of Job was written. And I think a lot of us, when we look at the Bible, we have this incredible misconception. We don't see that a lot of these, uh, Job and Moses and Abraham, and a lot of these folks overlapped. And for some reason, we see them as centuries apart. Yeah, centuries they didn't know apart. anything about you, each you other. You look at them instead of overlapping, you look at them as linear. Like yeah. After one died, the next guy come along, but they yeah. didn't. Yeah. Actually, Abraham knew Noah. There you go. That's the kind of thing I want you to to burst our little bubble in a sense. Yeah, so bring Noah us, was able to tell Abraham all the stories firsthand. Yes, exactly. So the, this and, idea and, that... And it's all right there in Genesis. I'm not making this up. All right. We, we See, we have this thing, uh, uh, what's the word that is used? Oral tradition that, uh, that somehow the Bible, how did the people know all of this stuff about creation and all? And, and we, Well, oral tradition, it was passed down generation to generation. And, and that's where we get the idea that it was just told it never was written down there and for some reason that takes on a kind of a questionable validity questionable reliability wow oral tradition i mean they just told stories around the campfire for uh, generations and generations and then finally and that kept pure that was not changed and so and the point is is that this this wasn't this vast amount of time between these generations there this these there were direct contact. People knew each other, uh, like you said. Uh, Abraham, as a child, probably heard Noah preach. Uh, and we don't realize. Remember well, don't these guys about, lived hundreds of years? I don't know about preach, but we know for sure that he talked. Or teach. Uh, and we also did. know, now this is a little wrinkle from a different point of view. What was the problem with the word preach? Just, I'm wondering. Uh, I, I, I just I, meant I don't speak, th- I, don't th- I don't think uh, Noah was a preacher. Oh, yeah, okay. But I, what I meant was teach or. Oh, or, or okay, yeah. That I could, that I could share his experience. Okay. <laughs> you don't think he was a pre- well? I don't know. He might have been. Anyway, I hear music. I do too. Somehow, and it was John, be quiet music. in there. <laughs> you can give us a call, folks, to be a part of a discussion uh, you have tonight. A phone number handy. We're gonna we're gonna start pick, come back and talk about Job. This overlapping this this and kind of finish up our discussions of him and what he shared his message out of the book of Job. And then we'll look at Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Both of those essentially had to do with the destruction of the temple, right? And, no, the, no, just Ecclesiastes. Where, where's Song of Solomon? Five, 586. Uh, okay. So, uh, Song of Solomon, not, not the destruction. Song, okay. Yeah. Oh, that was the marriage of Solomon, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, we'll come back and talk about those and then get back and consider more about the book of Galatians. We'll be right back. care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. 
Contentment is found in Christ alone. Our Daily Bread. Today's encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional was written by Arthur Jackson. Picture a parent poised lovingly over a child, finger gently placed in front of nose and lips, softly speaking the words, Hush, shh. The demeanor and simple words are meant to comfort and quiet anxious little ones in the midst of disappointment, discomfort, or pain. Scenes like this are universal and timeless, and most of us have been on the giving or receiving end of such loving expressions. When I ponder Psalm 131, verse 2, this is the picture that comes to mind. The language and flow of this psalm suggests that the writer, David, had experienced something that provoked serious reflection. Have you experienced a disappointment, defeat, or failure that prompted thoughtful, reflective prayer? What do you do when you are humbled by life's circumstances? When you fail a test or lose a job or experience the end of a relationship? In Psalm 131, David poured out his heart to the Lord and in the process did a bit of honest soul-searching and inventory. In making peace with his circumstances, he found contentment like that of a young child who was satisfied with simply being with his or her mother. Life circumstances change, and sometimes we are humbled. Yet we can be hopeful and content knowing that there is one who has promised to never leave or forsake us. We can trust him fully. To get our daily bread and print or ebook, visit getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Get the inside scoop on events and contests on AM630 The Word by becoming part of the club. Details at the top of the page at am630theword.com. That's am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. It's time to come home. That's the theme on Cinematic, the sixth studio album from electronic music maven Adam Young, also known as Al City. His latest is reminiscent of an 80s-themed movie soundtrack mixing Young's trademark synth-pop sound with a creative retro touch. With all your heart and soul, dream big and you can feel the magic. Young says it's a personal narrative, as if a film was made from key scenes through my life. And in that light, he spurs his listeners to appreciate the special moments in their lives and live them to the fullest. The only drawbacks are light bits of whimsical misbehavior. So I'll give Cinematic a four and a half out of five for family friendliness. For more on the album, be sure to visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar.
We are back. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Jacob here in the studio with me. Let's open up our Bibles and talk a little bit, uh, kind of final thoughts Did about Did you ever hear a joke book? I made about opening up the Bibles? <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid, but okay. Nah, do, do not be afraid. <laughs> okay. Just stand in line and smile. Okay. Um, actually, I made this up a long time ago. Okay. So, you know, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, the Christian songbooks in the church is called a hymnal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when unisex began, they were going to call them, instead of hymnals, they're going to call them urinals, unisex. So the preacher could say, everybody open up your urinals and sing. <laughs> Well, that has nothing to do with open up your Bibles. <laughs> I know. I know. But when you said okay. open up your Bible. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> with that bit of wisdom from. <laughs> or unless it's a female, not open up your hernals. I don't know. I don't even know what to touch it. What do you, what do you think, John? Well, I, I think we should go around. All the cards and letters should be addressed to Sophie. <laughs> Where's the worst of gone? Mm. Yeah. Let's see. You make up one better, bon. John. Okay, yeah. Well, he does make up some pretty good ones there from time yeah, to time. He's got a great memory. Well, let's and pick he up. Lives well. Okay. What, any final words on Job? Now, Job is supposedly one well, of your favorite books. The only thing I would and, like to point out is in your last question, your number so, no, um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you're number six. Okay. What unique thing for the era in which, at least for the era in which they lived, what unique thing did Job do for his daughters? Aha. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna, as good. I, I like this. Where am I find that verse? Well, the point is, is that he put his daughters into his will. Well. And, well, and no. that was not supposedly... Uh, women had couldn't hold property. They had no rights. They had no official. Uh, well, see, that's what I say. Job, oldest book in the Bible, uh-huh. and here it is. People say in the book of Moses or Moses' writings, mm-hmm. and I believe it's Numbers. He uh, talks to the the, the daughters of Zelophehad. And uh, and and says, okay, you girls get to inherit equally. And uh-huh. everybody says, ah, well, there's the first time girls can inherit. That's not true. It always was Jewish law, not Arab law, that the girls inherited. And right here it is, 42.15. Shall we read it? Together? Sure, please. It says, 42. Women, as beautiful as Job's daughters were, nowhere to be found in all the land. And their father gave them a portion together with their brothers. In other words, they inherited equally. And the oldest book in the Bible says the women inherited. And I I run into really hardcore some women extremists. And and I point that out to them and I say, huh. And because sometimes people are so into their feelings. In fact, this lady I know, this just a few days ago, said to me, she said, you know, when you're talking to somebody, everybody has their own story, carries their own luggage. And uh, and I thought that was such a good point because, you know, when you're talking to somebody that sometimes is hostile towards an idea, maybe they've had an experience that's unpleasant for them. No doubt about it. And, and, and when you're... You know, 50 years in ministry and here in other countries of the world and so on. Yes, the most important thing you can do in ministry, one of the most, the most important thing you can do in ministry to be effective, in my opinion, is go in ears first, not mouth first. Oh, I like that. Go listen. You find out where people are and they're thinking already because you're, you're, you're very rarely talking to people 
when you go into Mongolia, when you go into any other foreign country, into Kazakhstan and the countries that, where I've been and shared and, and ministered and so on, you're not, you're not going anywhere where people are zeros. Nobody's a spiritual zero. Everybody has, everybody wonders. Every nation, every people group in the planet, they wonder right, about right, our, right. our existence. They wonder about God. They wonder about spiritual reality. And, and they're not just novices. They've all thought about it. They've wondered about it for centuries. And sometimes that wondering and that thinking about it has has bubbled up into uh, religions and religious systems and belief, belief systems. Of, and, and all of them. Uh, this might even be a tiny bit controversial. I hope not. It, it seems sensible and logical, uh, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, all of them. You'll find that there's there is if you go if you trace them to their base and to their fundamental, they all have they all address some human frailty, some human, some area of wondering. Like for example, a lot of the Asian. Uh, Taoism and uh, Buddhism. So a lot of a lot of the Asian or uh, religious systems have a lot to do with connecting with your past, with your ancestors, with generations beyond, and and seeing that link that the spiritual link in the spiritual link that we're that we're part of each other and so on. So they 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 that's the kind of thing that they've wanted to connect with. You see a lot of that ancient uh, what they call uh, what is it. Um, uh, um, ancestor worship and that sort of thing. We we mistakenly call it ancestor worship, but it, it but the longing, the core longing yeah, there is a, is is everybody has questions. There's something. The core longing is 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 correct. It's it's legitimate, uh, and and the Bible actually speaks to that. The Bibles talk about. Uh, the Bible talks about our relation to the past, our fathers, and, and so on. And, and it speaks to that issue, the families, togetherness, and so on. Native Americans, uh, let's say uh, our history, Native American tribes, there was a great sensitivity. Some of that to, to gen, uh, generations and, and staying in touch with ancestry, but also the idea of uh, nature being in harmony with with the seasons and with nature itself. With the, um, the That's why... The, Fawcett, we idea think of the the uh, uh, you know the, the god of the hunt, the god of the forest, the god that they a lot of right. their gods come out of the n- natural expressions. Uh, the so seasons. So, if I were to talk so to an Indian that believed that, then I would have to listen to how they see religion exactly. and God. And the Bible actually has an aspect. The Bible also talks about so nature you'd, you'd and being in harmony with on, nature on how they understand and connect with them yeah. in that sense. Well, it's so. kind of what happened. This lady had said this to me. The reason that came up was somebody who was starting a conversation about how to get ring or uh, stain out of the ring around the collar, and they, <laughs> and the one person had the woman, "What would you use?" And she That's said, hilarious. "Why would you ask?" me because i'm a woman well, that's pretty hostile yeah it is. And, and then somebody the other lady said to me well uh is that uh what were they what were they saying or something in that nature and i said oh it was 20 seconds on the issue and 90 seconds on how bad men are and uh, <laughs> and so i realized when the other lady said you know everybody has their own luggage and own issues and it's like you say nobody's a zero uh-huh. and i thought you know yeah and i and i said i am absolutely I am absolutely, I'm fed up with being told how bad men are. I'm thinking men aren't so bad. 
They set their life, their blood, their sweat, their tears. They fought. There wouldn't be a country here if it wasn't mostly for the men. I know some women served. I got sure, that. Sure, sure. But the truth is, it's uh, that's where it came from. And, and I really resent. I'm getting to the point where I'm very sensitive to that, and I really resent that. Huh. Well, good. So you're going to... Well, I spoke up right there, and I said, well, it's 20 seconds on the issue of ring around the collar and 90 seconds on how bad men are. (laughs) Well, that's the era in which we live. I mean, this one is the call If it had been a a Hispanic person, a black person, a woman, or uh, anybody else sitting there, it wouldn't have been different. The unnamed villain, it's always never mentioned because we don't want to mention it. We only know the only person that's not mentioned is the white man. The white man. That's yeah. exactly who's not mentioned. So it's that's not even really just about men. Yeah. Uh, well, that was, uh, the truth is, it had it been a black person, a Hispanic person, a Greek, an Indian. It would have been more sensitivity. But the unnamed villain, because I, I actually have said before, I said, tell me, who is this person that's doing all this bad stuff to minorities and women? Who is this person? Because I want to be on your side. Uh-huh. I want to be against that bad guy. Who is it? <laughs> and who the, and they say, oh, I don't Too know. Too late. <laughs> oh, no, we all know who to talk about. The bad guy is the guy that really loved their family. They went to work every day. They worked a second job so the mother could stay home and take care of the children. They weren't bad guys. We all know the horrible stories about some bad men. Uh-huh. But the truth is, there's 320 million people in America. We know, what, 10 stories of bad people? Millions, hundreds of millions of decent men and women supported their families. And I'm tired of everybody putting men down. It's not really helpful (laughs) anyway. Uh, Where does it lead? I mean, just division and chaos. And The the reason I say that is because, as you say, people are not a spiritual zero. Mm -hmm. And this lady had made a really excellent point. She really made a point with me when she said everybody's got their own story. And I realized the lady that said that. Why are you asking me? Because I'm a woman. I realized, and they started talking about how bad men were. Well, I realized that's her story. And the truth is, I, too, was carrying that luggage, and, and she made a point with me yeah. about it. And that was a well-taken point. Yeah. So, well, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, there, there are no, I, I didn't share that idea out of uh, uh, um, arrogance or, you know, I know how to do it. it it's, it's not an exact science, and you can miss it, and it, because sometimes we think culturally we put people into categories, and sometimes that people can fit it, but then sometimes you'll find somebody who just who's in their he's part of that right. culture group, that particular societal group, but he doesn't fit the uh, the the norm as to what we think that they all believe. You well, know? so you have to, saying, you're taking one you, at a time as well. You know? Since we're finishing up on Job, uh-huh. if I said to you. What are Job's sons' names? You couldn't tell me. I could not. You They're not exactly listed, not. Okay. but his daughters are. And here is the oldest book in the Bible. We know them by name, and they inherited it equally. And that's long before Moses uh-huh. and long before the book of Numbers. Exactly. So everybody, So there was a rule that the women were being treated equally. And if you're very sensitive or you're carrying hurt with you or something, you're not. You don't want to hear that because it doesn't fit your stereotype. Yeah. You know. We, hmm. Well, uh, you're right there, and and I think it's a detail when you read the book. It's a detail that most people just read through, read over. Right. And they sure. don't make. We make a. We understand the the 
part of the story we pick up on is the suffering and the difficulty in that. But these details, that's the thing. That's why we pay you the big bucks is to, to make <laughs> us see those things. Oh, that's right. He, well, his daughters did, uh, yes. did inherit just and like the fathers, we know them the by sons. Name, yeah. mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is, since, uh, I guess that's that. So we'll jump quickly over to Ecclesiastes. And I know uh, you got some great questions here. Why don't you kind of just tell us what one, two, one and two are about. Okay. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes, in other words, this, the word Ecclesiastes has to, something to do with priesthood or, uh, what, ecle, it sounds like in, uh, in, in Greek, Greek ecclesia Greek. is the church yeah. uh, or the idea of assembly yeah, or uh-huh. group. Yeah. So Ecclesiastes would be collections or? Well, a collector from Hebrew. Okay. It's kohelis okay. in Hebrew. And that's like a collector. So we know for sure that, uh. Uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes 12.10, mm-hmm. it says that Solomon, who, as you just said, he was the author of Ecclesiastes, in Hebrew it's called Kohelis, that he searched and collected all the wise things. So he didn't say them, he collected mm-hmm. them. So that's very important. That's my favorite cha- My favorite verse of Ecclesiastes well, is 12.1. I like that one. That's... Um, what is it? Remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth, while the evil oh, days yeah. come not. And the, you know, just Do the you idea of the importance of coming to know God and be at peace with God as a child, as a young sure. person, uh, before the before life gets rough and you you harden into a you know kind of a hard heart or whatever. Do you know what know. my part of favorite of Ecclesiastes or Kohelis is? Mm-hmm. What is in chapter three? Have you mm-hmm. got your Bible? I do. I do have my Bible, and I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes. Okay, look at chapter 3, and if you want to, you can read and listen to what it's saying. This is absolutely ancient Jewish Hebrew understanding. Uh Uh-huh. 318 to 321. Okay, one more page turn here. 318 to 21. Say... Here he says, uh, you know, and, and the the writer of Ecclesiastes, I, we assume to be Solomon now, he is writing, and he's saying, I noticed this, I noticed that, and he says, I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate, both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They come from the dust, and they return to the dust. Is that that famous passage from? Oh, dust? don't stop now! You're okay. up to the most important one. For who can prove that the human? Who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down now into the earth? Look what it says. Mm-hmm. Human beings were understood in ancient Judaism and even today to be mm-hmm. two things very similar to uh-huh. the Christian uh-huh. idea, and that uh, animals they go sure. back to dust. Uh-huh. Man, the physical body of a man, goes back to dust. But look what it says in 21. Oh, you almost stopped. Uh, who understands that the spirit of a man rises above and the spirit of the beast descends to below? So, in other words, back to the dust. But what's different about a human being is there's something in him, a spirit, the spirit of God. And that ascends. Now, this is what Solomon and Ecclesiastes understood goes on. And you see, this is always one that we're talking about a few different takes on things. So the Jews understand that for right from the beginning, the Spirit of God was put into this creature called a human being. Uh-huh. 
So they didn't have to, from their point of view, they didn't have to believe in Jesus or anything else to get that spirit. The Christian concept, as I understand mm-hmm. it, is you believe in Jesus and you get the spirit. And so the Jew, but and here it is exactly what it says: the beast goes down, and your human part of you goes back to the earth, but the spirit rises and goes back to God. And that is exactly, really, fundamentally what ancient Jewish thought, even modern Jewish mm-hmm, thought, mm-hmm. actually still thinks. I'm is not it? sure if it's an accurate. Okay. I, I don't know. Maybe our listeners can tune in and, and they could help me with this because. I'm not exactly sure if the Christian idea is that we, we, we I, I think, now look, this is a new, new kind of, I've not thought of this a lot, but the, it's not that human beings are not spiritual beings. Uh, we, we do believe that, and we also have seen, I think, modern science has come to the idea that the idea that we are animals, we're the, we're the top of the heap, we're the, that we're on the top of the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which that we have animal uh, um, characteristics yeah, sure, as well. Sure. And but, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, you should correct No, me. no, no. That's, and I think we're fine with that. But that we there is something unique about us in that we have a spiritual awareness. We have a spiritual awareness. And so that we're – but spiritually, I, I – I think it's the fact that when we come to Christ, it's not that we receive a spirit okay. or become. Okay. It's that we, the the expression used a lot in the scriptures is that we are spiritually dead. Uh-huh. Not that we don't have a spirit, ah, okay. but we are spiritually dead. Right. And now this is interesting. I wonder what you'll think of this. We we uh, the Bible thinks of life and death not not in existential terms. It's not a matter of of dead you don't exist and alive you do it's not in a term of existence life and death are terms of relationship in other words if soapy dollar were to die right now you know i'm here on the microphone i'm talking and what if i were to die in this moment well, we'll the spirit the sh- we'll finish the show don't okay worry. I, i'm not worried about that i'm sure you would <laughs> uh, the spirit separates from the body and then you have a dead body here, and so the spirit has gone. So there's separation. So the idea of death is separation from it. And so the idea of spiritual life, right. death, spiritual death, is that we've become spiritually separated from God, who is our life. Uh, and so we see death not as an existence, but as it's a relational term. And, and so, uh, yeah, every, all men and women are, are spiritual beings, uh, but we understand that in our natural state, we, we are, as we've inherited, as we're part of the human race, uh, under the judgment of sin, like in Adam and all, that we're spiritually dead. We're not, we're not connected to uh, in a vital living relationship with God. And that's, of course, what we're being restored to. Through through redemption, through the salvation, through Messiah. So, so how does that line up a little bit with the idea? Because it seems to me you you were looking at death as uh, or spiritual as more of an existential. You either have a spirit or don't as a thing you have. Well, in ancient Jewish thought, indeed, modern Jewish mm-hmm. thought, and we've talked about this before. Uh, Jews have never ever ever thought. That you had to do God's laws to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's not a Jewish thought at mm-hmm. all. Um, 
it's the it's it's part of the covenant with God, and that is important that you say that over and over and yeah. over again because most of us kind of had the idea I know, that I know. the whole idea was that you were obeying the laws so you can get to heaven, and yeah, that never was has nothing. It's the laws are about what to do on earth, how human beings as a physical creature should treat God and other human beings. That's all. Would you be if I had changed it just yeah. slightly, just slightly to say how God's people? Uh-huh. Particularly, people of God. If yeah. we acknowledge God and love God and want God, uh-huh. these are these the the scriptures tell us how we yes. are to live, yes. how we're to treat other yes. people. Yes. Okay. I can go for that, sure, and I'm comfortable with that. In fact, I'll say that from the Jewish point of view, uh, all human beings have the Spirit of God. Okay. And so that, from a Jewish point of view, does return to God. It returns. Individually, it doesn't become a, a, an amorphous collective where you can no longer identify it. There is an understanding it is an individual, but it returns to God from where it came. The body, the physical body, goes back to dust from where the physical body came from, as just like mm-hmm. an animal. The only difference between an animal and human being is the animal, the human being animal, has, as we understand from the Bible, has the spirit of God, and that is God's, and that returns to God. So that's the ancient Jewish understanding. That's what he's talking about here. Because look, at, look at the assumption: Who understands that the spirit of man rises above, and the spirit of the beast descends below? Because what he's saying is, there's in Hebrew. If you read it, there's a different word for what you might call the soul or the spirit of an animal. And the spirit and soul of a human being. It's actually a different Hebrew word, but it gets translated as spirit or soul. See, uh, that's that is the that is the complicated question in some way. Uh, another aspect of this is quite complicated. What we're talking about right now, but okay. The, 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 what is the difference? What is the separation between soul and spirit? Even the New, in New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about sure. God's word is like a two edged sword, sure. piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Sure. So exactly there's, so. There, evidently, they do inter, uh-huh. they they do interface with each other, but then yes. there's something different about well, our soul I, I, and our spirit. I can't, the best way for me to explain it is uh, there's a famous rabbi I can't remember, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth century. And he'd begin this class by saying, how many people in here know that animals are alive? Mm-hmm. And everybody raised their hand, the young students, and he said, put your hands down. None of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he said, look, you don't have to have the spirit of God to be an animal alive. What, may, what animates an animal is the soul of the animal. Uh-huh. It keeps the animal alive. So the human being is an animal. It's animal part of the human being. It has what you might call a soul that keeps the physical alive, animated like any other animal. But something additional has been added, and that's the spirit of God. All right. But then the verse you just read didn't talk about the spirit of God. Well, it says the spirit rises above. What spirit is it talking about? It's talking about this neshama. No, I look in the context. What spirit is it talking about? It says who understands, and he's he's kind of depressed. He Mm -hmm. says who understands the spirit of man rises above. The spirit of man, Uh huh. not spirit of God. Right. That's right. Spirit, yes. And uh, and it says the spirit (laughs) of the beast goes below. But I will tell you... um, 
So, so anyway. you, you're saying, uh-huh. from you, your language, you're yeah. saying that the, as a spiritual being, that yeah, yeah. I, the spirit of God, uh-huh. that makes you and it talks being. about the spirit of man. Is there a difference between the spirit of man and the spirit of God? Well, yes. In Jewish thought? Yes. And uh, the words actually, the, what makes an animal alive is called a nephesh. Mm-hmm. Just so, you, just to give it a title. So the animal is that the idea of soul or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's soul, nephesh. Okay. So the ant, the human being, has got something called the nephesh and the ruach. Now, when you put those two together, they become what's called the neshama. Those words actually appear in Genesis. Yeah. Except when it gets translated. He breathed into his nostrils and became a living. Is that the one? Yeah. So what happens is, is they get translated always as soul or spirit. So it's a little confusing where it's not quite as confusing in Hebrew because it actually uses nephesh, ruach, neshama. Yeah. Well, it's it's profound and deep, and what we mean by that, I'm sure we're not going to settle that this evening in terms of hopefully clarify it a bit and so on. But uh, I I wouldn't mind a a thought from our listeners about that. What I really like about Ecclesiastes is this: we all know Solomon had what is it a total uh, thousand women in his life? Yes. Well, you know, I always like to look at things from somebody else's perspective. Solomon, when he's writing this, this is a very downcast kind of book. Yes, it is. Very depressing. Vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. Right. It's all empty, well, meaningless. Let's, when we come back, let's explore it from the woman's side. Okay. And I'm also wanting to ask you the question of how much uh, credence, how much validity, how much, uh, how much weight the Jewish people... Do you give the book of Ecclesiastes much... Uh, much authority because he's really clearly a very mixed up man. Uh, Solomon is at this stage of his life. At this point in his life. We'll come back. Take your phone calls 340-9585. Do not go away. Just a tear on a crowded street but you were one in a million and you belong to me and I want you to know that I'm not letting go even when you this is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. This is our final segment. Uh, time flies when you're having fun here, or time's fun when you're having flies, as Kermit the Frog <laughs> says. Uh, <laughs> we are in our final segment. We're talking about the books of Job. We've uh, discussed that a bit. We talked. We're talking about Ecclesiastes now, uh, just as we took the break, and we this. Fella uh, Solomon, I, I, I've often wondered how Ecclesiastes is viewed and understood because he's so depressed. He's so, uh, and I, does it does it relate to his life experience? He started off strong. He was a young you know, um, David's son. Solomon took the throne, and he started out. You know, God's going to give you anything you want, and so he asked for wisdom to rule God's people. And and I mean, everything is there. Is very lot of you know. We we celebrated, you know. There's a man of wisdom. He's looking for the right things, but then he got messed well, up with all these think, wives and marriages. Why and do come. you think he's so depressed? 
that I'm wondering that he he tried everything. I was looking at this today. Wine, music, and song. You know, he tried everything. He was wealthy. He had everything. He was a king, and uh, all these women and so on. A thousand women. He had wine, women, song, king, gold, everything. And and so why do rich people? Sometimes even today, I I get surprised by wealthy. This Antonin, this Boudouin, or this guy who's the uh, chef. Yeah, uh, committing suicide, you know, yeah. and so and they're wealthy, they're successful, and, and but we see we see that to some degree a lot of times. Uh, well, why I don't know why he was depressed. He had everything. Why would he? Why would he be complaining about life? You know. Well, I was looking at that today. I was reading it, and I was actually doing a little research, uh-huh. and uh, I've come to this conclusion: it's uh, all the things he's doing are physical, wine, women, and song. Mm-hmm. What he's missing is, in fact, there is another verse later on in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. It's twelve seven, and it says, When the dust returns to the ground, and the soul returns to the ground, the spirit returns to God. So it's actually making another distinction in chapter 12. So he's actually making a, the physical seem to be letting him down. And here's what I was found some interesting thoughts on from, uh, ancient. Yeah, chapter 12 is all of a sudden, that's my favorite verse. Uh, uh, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, while the evil days come not. And so it has that, it tracks with a little bit with what you're saying. So how could he ever, let's take a look. Here's a guy that had all these women. Let's look at it from mm-hmm. a woman's perspective. Okay. Here's a guy, he'll take as many women as he wants. He gets married, he has the concubines, the whole business. If you were a woman, would you feel committed to him? <laughs> Whoa, I mean, that's a big step to take. But what was it now? 300 wives yeah, and 700 uh, concubines? Something like that. Like that? Six or 700, yeah. Uh, yeah a, you wouldn't, a thousand You total. couldn't probably feel too awful that's special. Right. So assume. now let's say. Now some of those are political alliances, we right? We understand it, so but I'm talking about a woman's feelings. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now let's say a subject about which I know no, <laughs> next no, to nothing. But okay. Okay, but let's say this. Let's say that they don't have a whatever it is that they gotta have for him because it's political, it's whatever mm-hmm, it is. Mm-hmm. Takes as many as he wants. Gets, they get mad. Let's say they say something bitter to him. Let's say it's less than cordial. And let's say it's depressing to him then he's going to react and reciprocate in kind. And maybe this lack of commitment is initiated either by him or by what the woman says because she doesn't feel committed to him. Uh, And so she might say something very antagonistic or bitter. And she may never understand that his retaliation back to her is coming from that bitterness because she doesn't feel like she's matters or is important so she might say something bad then he feels he responds he's got all these other women and there's no commitment there so he's never been able to have a a cemented relationship so he feels lost nobody loves him even though he has a thousand wives and concubines yeah and not one of those women are going to feel like they they belong with him in a marriage And he is not going to feel like it. And so all this physical. Okay. And so what I'm saying is, and I was thinking, you know, because, you know, and I've I've been in situations where. What in the world does that even mean? I mean, uh, what was the nature of his relationship with 
a thousand women. Well, it was pure, obviously pure uh, physical. But what I'm saying is, well, I'm I've been having a situation where that, yeah, uh, a woman will truth. say something and she never realizes that what she says to me was perhaps antagonistic, perhaps I was oversensitive, or whatever, but I responded. Uh-huh. And so my lack of reciprocation makes her feel rejected, let's say. So here you got Solomon, who's got a thousand women. None of those women are going to feel special. None of them are going to feel like they have a relationship. So they have no kindness towards him. So he has no relationship. So they might say something bitter or antagonistic. Mm-hmm. So he has nothing there. And so he's never had a commitment. He's lost. In, in and it's volume. interesting his, if you think about it in that way. And I've never really walked down this path thinking about Solomon, but if, if, if we were to analyze him, psychologically analyze this guy, uh, his mother's Bathsheba, she's, she, you know, he was, it's not like David was um, really committed with her. That was, we know the story of David's adultery with Bathsheba and so on. So he comes out of that. And in, I guess you, it's kind of understandable that Solomon had problems with women, didn't he? I mean, would you say? I mean, would, could his past and his well, mother and all that, could that have been we part We know of, from the book, it's got a tone, a very somber, sad tone. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I would say that probably in reality, the, the most of the thousand women in his life probably felt very much like he does. Yeah. And, uh, and so... The point is, he had everything. He had wealth. He no, had power. He no, had everything. that's just that, the point. But he that did it was not, not satisfying. No, he did not have everything. He had volume. Okay. He, he had, didn't. He didn't have, have quality. quality. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He didn't have substance. He didn't have a relationship right. to belong to. Uh-huh. And then when he says in the verses you were quoting, is it says utter futility, says Koheleth. Yeah. I'm reading it from the Hebrew. Yes. Uh, all is futile. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything physical I got means nothing. Vain. Imagine so, that. Yeah, it's just so let's say, meaningless. Yeah. Let's say he has a thousand wives. None of them are going to feel like married to him. They all know he, he's a dog. And so he relied on the physical. And so they, they're not going to have any kindness, no feeling for him. They're not going to have any compassion if he's got a stomachache or he stubbed his toe. Yeah. They don't care. And they're going to say something that maybe he's, he wants it, but he's going to get something sarcastic. It's going to hurt his feelings. And then he's going to react a certain way, and that just confirms that they uh, are not really cared uh, for. And so what happens well, is all the physical things have betrayed him because he said, look, it's all fut- fertility. And so the whole yeah. thing is lost. It, but there was a time when he didn't feel that way, evidently, because the whole book of Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, that, right, celebrates well, his marriage he, to who this. Who can he trust? Is that that first girl, the Shunammite girl that he married maybe when his youth? Oh, and, maybe. And there must have been something there because that book talks about love and romance. and Yes. And, uh, you yeah, know, the Song of Songs does. Yeah. Right and, and so, but somehow... By the time we get to Ecclesiastes, he's an older man. He's uh, he's he's now lost any idealism he had. He's lost, and he's and he's very disillusioned with life. And life. he talks about learning. He talks about knowledge. He was evidently a great botanist. He studied plants and animals and well, so on. And he collected learning and he collected, collected yeah. a lot of things from wise people. I don't know that he was responsible as an author, mm-hmm. but he certainly collected them.
But I, I can see. But clearly he's disillusioned. And yes, it's all, it's all, so he hasn't got everything. Uh-huh. What he's bemoaning is his lack of everything. He, all he has is quantity. He has everything the world can offer. Well. Wealth, comfort, food, wine, wine, women, song. He has knowledge. He, he, has, he has his VC. You know, he has his, uh, he, he's connected to the Internet. He's got his TV. He can do anything. He's got the most updated. He's got everything. And yet he's not satisfied and he's not content. And, and, and Which is a great message. I think it's a great message for our culture, our society. Well, that's you know, that kind of what's happening. Physical things don't ultimately satisfy the human spirit. It's Yeah. And, and I can see that, I mean, it, with a thousand women in his life, I can see, like I say, that he, he has no relationship, uh-huh. nobody he can trust, nobody that feels that they're really individually cared for. Uh-huh. And so they probably say things that probably hurts his feelings, makes him angry, and then he reacts... By perhaps ignoring them, mm-hmm. but so whatever how that what those dynamics are, they are. But what happens is everything that's here. He's talking about the physical, the wine, the song, the, all the women. All that had betrayed him. What he was lacking was something else. So he didn't have everything. And then, and this is interesting. The book of Ecclesiastical Hellas was almost not part of the Hebrew canon, and then therefore had not been part of the Christian. Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bible, yeah. And, and only one line saved it. And, of course, it's the famous Chapter line. 12, yeah. yeah. And where it says, here's the sum of the entire matter. Okay. After all things are considered, all these things, women and nature and science and all these, everything considered, my final conclusion is. Yeah, here's the sum of the matter. It's 12, 13. Um, the, the sum of the matter is when all is considered, fear God. Observe his commandments, for that is the whole of man. And you see, he did not. <laughs> and that saved, that kept his book in the in the. Uh, and that's canon. the only reason, because of that line, is why the rabbis decided it should be part of the Jewish Bible and ultimately the Christian Bible. But what's fascinating is, did he keep the commandments? The answer is no. He enslaved. Remember, he built all these places. He actually had one third of the year taken out of the Jews, building his palace and the temple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's slavery. Yeah. And then he, he not supposed to have all these. It says, "You shall not have all these horses and these soldiers and and all the chariots." And he did that. And he did everything he was not supposed to do, and and all it led to was him being physically depressed. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I just have, I got this vision in my mind where you'd come into maybe some lady or something and he'd start talking to her and she'd be not very cordial toward him and he she'd say something that really either hurt his feelings or make him angry and then he'd go pout, go out and sit on the porch. You know? <laughs> but he would not ever have yeah. a relationship. And so he sums it up by saying, look, everything I've done is meaningless. It's all futility. Here's the sum. Do the commandments. And then you'll have the physical things you want. And remember, the commandments are for this world only. They are not to get into heaven. Interesting. Well, it it, it is a very powerful message. I'm glad they kept it in because... 
Uh, this is the, you know, we always talk about the down and outers, you know, we're going to go and uh, sometimes we forget about the up and outers, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of people wealthy and they've got, uh, what is it, the business, uh, the businessman or prof- the executive who climbs the ladder of success and mm-hmm. finds only to find at the end that his ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> he, he's up the top, but it's not as satisfying or content. And it, Partially what Solomon experiences sure. here, for sure. Well, it is interesting that these two books write together because one is taken from late in his life after these Ecclesiastes. And if you remember now, Solomon lived, he inherited from David, his, fa- his father. The This was is at the peak of Israel's power, at the peak of Israel's wealth. Was he wealth. supposed to be king? Uh, he, I don't know. He, you have, I got a sense that he was not, but that, that you told us that his wife, Bathsheba, Bathsheba, Bathsheba uh, crowned me king. He uh-huh. says. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So, not, not David. Yeah. No, yeah. So is that connection? So I would say probably in some sense he would not have been, it should not have been, but well, why on would, the other hand, why would Bathsheba be able to crown him king? Because didn't David owe her a debt? A big debt. What debt? Well, he killed her husband. There you go. (laughs) He can't, the one sin that you cannot ask another human being to forgive. You see, Jews understand that if I sin against you, I should ask for your forgiveness and make restitution. That's physical, man Uh to man, uh person to person, Uh woman to woman. But then, by violating that, I also violated God's laws. So then, uh, I want yeah, I, I have to apologize to God. Sure, and, and, and make restitution, and, and, and that would occur on Yom Kippur. But you can't do that with murder because the person's not because there. The person's is. dead. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that Sol- or King David had to give was the most valuable thing he had. The throne. And so he gave the throne, the kingship of Israel. So he gives it to Bathsheba. And that's the only thing he can do. And so Solomon says, Bathsheba, his mother, crowned me king. Now, it, it yeah, starts making uh, some yeah, sense. It, makes, it does. It does make some sense. Uh, so he lives his life, and, he, and this is at the peak of Israel's power, wealth, influence in the world. Uh, but it begins the downfall. And under under, under Solomon... The nation becomes begins to unravel. Uh, he tax taxation is so high. Uh, when he dies, we know that the famous debate broke out about uh, would they ask his son uh, Rehoboam or Jeroboam? No, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. They asked Rehoboam to lower the taxes. It was just it was, and he said, "No way. You know, I'm going to raise them." In fact, he thought my dad was hard on you. I'm going to be worse. Uh, and so My anyway, little finger will be thicker than his waist. Yeah. And so it led to the division. The, the whole nation came apart. Uh, the ten tribes of the north broke away and so on. So it led into a, a, great, time, a diff, great time of difficulty for the people of Israel and so on. So the idea here is that uh, he has lived through all of that. He's had all, all this experience. And it, it is a valuable insight. What does a guy who has everything, has seen it, what would, at the end, what has he learned? And you've just quoted it. You know, at the well, end, the sum total of yeah. things is, yeah. you know, it's spiritual. And listen, seek uh, God, let, let me, obey uh, His commands. Let me just read a fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm reading it from the Hebrew interpretation, mm-hmm. of course. So it might be a little different, but it, it captures the same mm-hmm. spirit. You might mm-hmm. say, "Ha ha!" 
Um, anyway, so uh, is, uh, when one is afraid of heights, there is terror on the road. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper becomes burdened, and desire wanes. As a man sets out for his eternal abode, and mourners go around the street before the silver cord snaps or is cut, uh-huh. and the golden bowl crashes, and the jar is shattered at the fountain, and the jug is smashed by the cistern. When dust returns to the ground, and the soul returns to the dust, and, but the, and the spirit returns to God who bestowed it, uh-huh. utter futility, says Koheleth, all is futility. And then it says, in addition to being wise, Kohela sought and taught the knowledge to masses. He absorbed and analyzed. He composed numerous proverbs. Kohela sought the collector, sought to discover valuable sayings, and probably recorded all their words of truth. The proverbs, maybe. Uh-huh. Right. So he's a collector, wise saying by wise people. And then it sums up, Beyond all these, take care, my son, for there is no end to composing many books. Mm-hmm. An extensive study is physically exhausting. Uh, here's the sum of all matters when all is considered. Fear God, observe his commands, so that is the whole of man. So here's a guy that's totally totally has not obeyed God's commandments. He's gotten to the top of the ladder and he discovered that his ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. He's, exactly. He's, have, he's had the wrong value system uh, all along. And that's a valuable lesson for us. I think that it really is important uh, for... Well, I'm you. glad that it got included. It, it's a great insight. It's well, a great well, experience. What would have to, happened if, instead of having a thousand wives? Had mm-hmm. he just had one wife, mm-hmm. and they'd have built up a relationship. They might have had arguments and fights. People but do they work through it, mm-hmm. but they but they have mm-hmm. a relationship. Mm-hmm. But not with this. And like I said, I just have this vision in my. He's got a castle or a palace with a thousand rooms, and every wife has her own room or whatever. And he goes into yeah, one. I don't and, know how that worked out. Yeah. But, you know, he goes into one, and uh, she says something mean to him. Well, he gets angry, he gets frustrated, he's mad, he has no relationship, nothing to save, nothing mm-hmm. to work out. Mm-hmm. So he goes off by himself, and maybe the woman doesn't even realize she hurt his feelings. Uh-huh. And then he goes out and he sits on the porch and pouts. Or he goes to one of the other rooms, 732. But then, and when it's, and the line he says... And the one line here kind of tells us what well, a little bit. He's getting old. And it says, uh, when he's getting ready to go to his eternal abode, and, uh, and when a man's desire wanes. So the thousand wives and the sex and the wine and the drinking, that all just that disappears. So it's all physical is what left him bereft of having meaning, relationship, something to belong to. Every creature I have noticed... Every creature desires to belong. Sure. And they can't belong if there's nothing to belong to. Yeah. And this is the ultimate belonging. What we're talking about, if you're connected, if you're connected in a genuine, real relationship to the Creator Himself, oh, how fulfilling, how exciting, how thrilling that is. Has He obeyed the commandments? None of this stuff would have taken place in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I know we've got a minute, but compare this. He's saying, now, why would he say in the sentence before, there's no end to many books and many studying? Uh-huh. 
But he, and so he got all this physical. Because there's no end. <laughs> yeah, to but it. that's yeah. the physical stuff written by human beings. And then he compares it in the next verse. In verse uh, 13, he says, obey the commandments. That's the sum. In other words, all this writing and all the learning and everything he collected, that's all human beings' reasoning. And it leads to all the stuff that made him unhappy. Yep. It makes total sense because, really, the spiritual trumps the purely physical. The, the spiritual, you know, the, the spiritual trumps the natural. Just, I mean, obviously, you can get all the toys and all the, you know, he who has the most toys wins and that sort of thing. But you can't take it with you, as common knowledge is. You can't take it with you. you this, the things of this world ultimately in and of themselves don't satisfy the heart, the soul, the spirit of man. It's 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 relationship. Ultimately, the relationship with our Creator, mm-hmm. and then, of course, within that relationship, all other relationships reach a, a mm-hmm. tremendous potential. My marriage of fifty years, my friendships, mm-hmm. my yeah, all of those relationships. In in the context of my relationship with Him, they become precious. They become life sustaining and encouraging, and a very positive part of my life uh, experience. But with relationship is not there. It, it's that's and that's why the idea that, that death is separation. It's lack of relationship. Uh, that's kind of what the, the idea of death being not an existential term, but a relational term. Well, let's take just a couple of minutes. How does this jive? Uh, of course, we've got Ecclesiastes. He got Song of Songs is from the first part of his life when he's enamored, he's in love with his with his his uh, you know the child bride of his, and and he starts off, and that's the story of, of Solomon. He starts off with a lot of potential, a lot of hope, a lot of possibilities, and yet at the end. It, it's disappointing because he doesn't. Uh, You're talking about Song of Songs? Yes. Uh-huh. Isn't that an early book written from early yeah, in his life? But you and, know how the Jews, mostly the Jews interpret that. Uh-huh. And I've heard Christians interpret it much the same way. Uh-huh. Uh, they apply it to the Christian sure. nation. Yeah. As a Jesus and the nation. Yeah. They, they, yeah. The Jews apply it to uh, God. As the husband and the nation of Israel is who he's talking about. Well, it's the same thing. God and his people. See, it's the same thing. Exactly. I've heard Christians do it. And I I thought exactly what you said. It's the Uh, same understanding. If we could only only understand that, it would break down a, a wall there that... But but anyway, the the principle is there, uh, the, and that's one way to learn from the book. Of, uh, some people really enjoy Song of Songs, but if they think about it as uh, we're the bride of Christ, you know, the the bride uh, in the relationship we can have with our God. But let's go right back to Galatians just really quickly. We won't be able to spend much time on it next week. We'll go ahead and get into Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and those letters, those shorter letters of Paul. Um, and so, is there any final word about I like, Galatians? I like your question too. Who gave Paul his message? He says that he got it directly from Jesus. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, Jesus told me. 
Yeah. And then look at number three. It says uh, the, you refer to like the Judaizers. Yeah. And one of the popular misunderstandings is Jews, Judaizers are not Jewish. They're Christian believers. And they were Christian believers, what we might call Messianic guys today. They thought that they ought to do Jewish stuff too. They don't have to, but they're welcome. But anyway, that's what Judaizers were. They're Christians. Anyway, uh, remember that you should always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Amen goes there. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.